Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. everybody. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today is a really special day, not just because we are talking about amends, which is one of my personal favorite episodes in the Buffyverse. Same. I think it's yours too, Tabby. Leah, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this episode? I feel like it's a pretty general consensus that it's a, a fave among us. I thought you were going to say, I thought it was a pretty average episode. I was like, gone. You're gone. Like, Leave the episode. Mm, <laughs> I've seen better. Yeah. Nope. Nope, this is the best it can get. Um, But yes, we're talking about Amends, which is the only, the first and only uh, Christmas-centric, I don't know, Christmas-esque episode of the Buffyverse. But we also have a really special person with us today. We have Dee, also known as Mrs. Gordo, for those of you who have waited long for this. Thanks so much for being with us, Dee. (laughs) Thank y'all for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this episode, and and I'm a big fan of y'all's podcast, so thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure, for sure. Okay, so we ask everybody this, but Dee, can you tell us, like, your maybe like your first memory of Buffy, how you found the show, like what you love about it, and why you love Amends in particular. Sure, like my Buffy origin story. Um, <laughs> yes, so I'm exactly. very old. I'm a very very old person. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched Buffy back when it was on TV. Um, I um, so it's funny because I I you know I had a really a couple of good friends that were really into Buffy. And they were like, you know, you should watch it. You would really like it. I was like, eh. And one time I think I was sick and watching um, or, you know, changing the channels. And I found uh, Buffy was on. And I think it was the episode Enemies. Um, And then it kind of got me curious. So then I went, and this is how old I am, you guys. I went to my friend who had season one on VHS. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And I put the VHS season one uh, seasons in. And I just, that started my Buffy uh, journey. And I think I was um, maybe 13 years old, 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, and, um, and then I, you know, just kind of rewatched it. I've rewatched seasons one through three, like hundreds of times. Sure. Yeah. The, the Holy Trinity of Buffy seasons. And then I guess, you know, in terms of amends, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Angel. Um, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of Angel, um, the character. And, uh, amends is a very important episode for him, um, for his character okay. and the journey that he, mm-hmm. he he's on and the journey that he takes, um, which I think we'll talk about, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the spoiler section. But, um, you know, the, the episode itself is, is so much about um, philosophy and, um, you know, themes that we explore with Angel um, for many years to come. So uh, I love it. It's it's a good episode. I always get really like bothered as one does when people, you know, talk about Buffy in a negative way. But I always get bothered when people talk about how much they don't like the episode of Men's. And I understand that there is an element of melodrama and cheese and all that stuff that kind of it's going to have elements of like the cliche holiday themes. But in, you know, true Buffy form, I think it it subverts all of those. And it actually is just mm-hmm. so deep and hopeful. And I think that people sometimes get blinded by their 
dislike of Angel as a character or Bangel in particular. And mm-hmm. I think you can appreciate this episode for like, even if you don't like all of that, you know what I mean? So I just don't understand everyone's argument with being melodramatic. I'm like, you guys, <laughs> if you look at it for what it actually is in the episode, it's not melodramatic. Like, yeah, they're obviously talking about life as, and death here. Yes. Like, but in real life, obviously, it's melodramatic because we don't go through this. But it's like you have to put yourself in the place of the characters. And it's mm-hmm. completely reasonable that they're reacting this way. But I think that whole conversation in the hilltop makes me tear up every time. Everyone just kills it. They give it their all. Like it's just the epitome of just like Christmas feels and just feels in general. It's also not any more melodramatic than any other episode of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. You know, it's just and, that it's Bangel. It's exactly. If it's a certain kind of melodramatic, uh, some fans are okay with. Um, and for some reason, Angel <laughs> melodrama it seems to get a lot of. Idols. I don't know what you're talking about at all. Yeah, Gosh, I don't either. Else is but, like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think that people. Um, it's it's unfortunate that people would discount this episode as being you know cheesy or melodramatic. It because is because while yeah. there are elements of cheesiness and melodramatic, you're missing. Um, some really interesting, um, you know, mm-hmm. philosophical ideas, some really interesting writing. And what Joss Whedon himself has coined some of his best writing is that hilltop scene. So, um, yeah, I just think uh, some people are just wrong. <laughs> 100% agree. My, I also feel like it's one of those things where I don't really view this episode as cheesy. Like, I think it's just sometimes people get so uncomfortable mm-hmm. with – Deep conversations like the or one on the hilltop. deep feelings and emotions. Or deep feelings. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that when they watch it, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is so corny and blah, 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 blah. Like, but it's like – it's one of those things where it's like, no, like, that's life. Like, mm-hmm. he's going through a terrible mm-hmm. thing. Like, and of course, the person he loves the most is going to be, like, crying out for him. Yeah. Like, this is literally a picture of, like, a relapse. People have gone through stuff like this mm-hmm. where they've needed to, like – literally fight to keep their loved ones like alive. And I don't think that's cheesy. I think it's done well. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably an aspect where people are uncomfortable with seeing particularly a man uh, exhibit such strong emotions because we watched David Boreanaz, an angel, just like sobbing and uh, like, you know, love he's it. just going through it. And I think sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. It's like we're used to seeing women display strong emotions, but seeing a man, uh, if it's not anger, anything other than anger, it's like, whoa, True. this makes me kind of uncomfortable. And so I think that might be part of what maybe makes people uncomfortable with the episode, but I don't know. Anyway. All right. So let's just jump into the episode since we're already talking about it. Amends, Season 3, Episode 10, written and directed by Joss Whedon, which is why it's so great, aired December 15th, 1998. So the working titles for this episode were Old Enemies, Dead Enemies, and A Buffy Christmas. This episode's story follows the premise of the well-known Charles Dickens novella, A Christmas Carol, in which an elderly miser is visited by a ghost and the three Christmas spirits to learn the wrongs of his ways. I think we all know what a Christmas Carol is. And this episode in general was just really needed. I mean, here we are on episode 10, and Angel's been back since episode 3, at the very end of episode 3, Faith Open Trick. Mm -hmm. And it's been kind of like okay, like, why is Angel back? Like, him and Buffy haven't really, like, had a conversation where they've addressed the fact that they can't consummate their relationship, they can't have sex, that they really can't 
be together because of all these things. But then on top of that, like we haven't really seen Giles and Angel talk and address some things. And so I think this episode was absolutely pivotal and um, much needed. And we've also talked about, I think, was it Lover's Walk where, oh yeah, Angel was reading nausea and we saw him like talking about existential or reading about existentialism. And I think it's cool how we've had little Easter eggs in episodes prior to show us that Angel's actually been thinking about this isn't just coming out of nowhere, you know? All right. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. What what do you guys think some of the major themes of this episode are? Hmm, Amends. Ooh, that's a good one. Where'd you get that from? (laughs) No, but I mean, realistically on a non-joking thing, I think a part of it is relapsing. But I also think a lot of it is just like, how do I phrase that? Like, is there a word for like self-forgiveness? I was about to say extending forgiveness on yourself. Redemption. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Something like that where it's like, working through your inner demons and allowing yourself to kind of move past the crappy stuff that is in your past. Because, I mean, we see that not only with Angel, but it's like even at the beginning of the episode, you see like Willow talking about that, mm-hmm. Xander talking about that, like even Xander. I know what like, is happening. Is going through, <laughs> yeah, is going through his own little self-redemption, I guess. He's at least willing to forgive. <laughs> The other thing that I was going to say is, um, you know, you kind of touched upon it with the uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, which I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Um, I think it's Sartre, but I mean, everybody says it differently, so who knows? (laughs) Everybody knows what we're talking about. Carry on. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, Is, you know, that existentialism, you know, the meaning, you know, what what does it mean to be alive? Um, You know, that's sort of the philosophical side of of this episode and... um, it's actually a three-parter, right? The wish, this episode, and then you guys will talk about uh, the next episode coming up, which I'll kind mm-hmm. of deal with that, um, those themes of existentialism. And then the other thing is, um, I think Angel is also struggling with some identity issues, is who mm. who is he? Um, is he Liam? Is he Angelus? Is he somebody completely different? Um, and I do think that the, of course, this is a question that we talk about a lot throughout the show, but we, we delve into a little bit about what the soul means for Angel and his identity and his culpability. Um, because the first plays off of that in this episode. Yeah, that's a huge, huge thing. I'm really glad that they start to address it a little bit more in this episode. Right. That's really that's really interesting. You say that um, about identity because I think one of the themes that we've seen for this, I mean, this uh, this season has several different themes, but one of the overarching one that we put for this this one is choices, and what comes into that is your identity, and so who you are, who you choose to be, like your choices factor into who you eventually end up becoming because like we are what we do. And so I think that we've been watching Buffy really wrestle with identity and choice uh, specifically in like Anne in the first few episodes when she was wrestling with, okay, I am a slayer. I've accepted that role, but then there's kind of a part of her that didn't want to come back to slaying, but then did it. But then all of a sudden you have faith in the mix and it's like, oh, I could actually like or, or I've been told I can walk away, but then I know that being a slayer is part of my identity, so I can't really walk away. Um, and I think having Angel back, it's kind of cool to see the parallels between both Buffy and Angel's journey of finding out who they are. Yeah, and they do that. I mean, they parallel their journeys a lot because becoming, obviously, those two episodes, they paralleled um, them becoming who they were. And now both of them, although Buffy is 
you know, much more throughout the season. We see also Angel struggling with his identity, and particularly mm-hmm. we see it in this episode. Uh, the parallels between both of them throughout the series is just my favorite thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so a couple quotes and then we'll be ready to start. So David Boreanaz says, In the beginning, Angel was an analogy to everyday living. I think when you wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, you see yourself. But in there are these fears and these demons that somehow are sleeping or hidden in your past. When you walk out that door and face people, you don't really know how people are. They're touch and go, and those demons and fears will come out. So the idea was that I would be fighting those demons, and it would be a fight for humanity. And Angel as a character is very complex because he does have the opportunity to delve into dangerous personalities at times, but he knows how to keep that at bay. He has a soul. And then Tim, is it Minear? Minear. I've always pronounced it Minear. What I like about the whole idea of Angel is the concept of redemption and this idea of recovery as well. The truth is, here's a guy who's choosing to be good. He's got stuff in his past that he's got to make up for. And then Joss Whedon. Part of what we wanted to say with this show is that redemption is difficult and it takes a long time and there isn't always a goal in sight. You just have to keep trying to do right and trying to make up for what's gone before. And if you make it easy, if you say, find the golden key, that's kind of a false hope. And the thing about a hero is that even when it doesn't look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, he's going to keep digging just because that's who he is. So I think that's just kind of the the crux of and the heart of the character of Angel, which I absolutely love because I think that we so often see Angel through the eyes of Buffy on this show. Um, And I feel like this is one of the first episodes with the exception of Angel. I feel like Angel, when we saw like those scenes with him and Darla, we kind of see him separate from the lens of Buffy. And in this episode, we see a lot of scenes of him on his own. So it's kind of cool to see him in a perspective that's away from Buffy a little bit because it kind of fleshes him out a little bit more. All right, we open up in 1838. It's always so weird when you see like the actual date of it because you're like, oh, he's been alive for that long. Interesting. Yeah, oh, yes, he is an immortal vampire. Forgot about that. It's just, it's funny to think about all the stuff that happens in such a short amount of time in, in like history's retrospect. You're like, this wasn't like that long ago. And yet everything looks so different. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I just always think about like, um, Vampire Diaries is like vampires and they were like their original stories were in the exact same time in history. I'm like, could could y'all have it in like a different time? Like, I don't know. It just seems too like too specific. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, you go back too far and it's not really interesting anymore. Like yeah, it's pilgrims. Like, who wants to see oh, the pilgrims? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, no, literally. It's like, oh, they were on the Mayflower. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> anyway, Angelus. <laughs> This part I feel like is the only scene in the this episode where I'm like, this is a bit cheesy. But it's also because his accent is a bit atrocious. Um, okay, okay. Everybody talks about Buffy's bangs in this episode, and I'm like, but we're forgetting there's the Irish accent and all the horrendous. The okay, facial can hair. I say? Can I say justice for Buffy's bangs? She looks oh my God, me cute too, in that. Tabs, yes. Thank you so much. I have yes. gone to war with people. I love uh-huh. bangs. They look cute. They're not the ba- bad. The, the bangs <laughs> that I think no 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 no, no no hear me out hear me out the bangs I think that should be burned in you know hellfire are Courtney Cox's bangs in Scream Three. Those are the ones. They're the same year. It definitely was a trend. Yeah, Alyssa Milano had him in Charmed. Um, Courtney Cox same year. Had They're him. all the same year. It was like a trend that ninety nine to two thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a month and then it was – and that was it. I think SMG can pull it off really well because she didn't do them super It's subtle. Thick. 
It's Some subtle. people did them really thick and it was like, uh-huh. but yes, it is subtle. And it's not even there for the entire episode. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. some of her best hair is in this episode, but nobody talks about it. She's got like a cute, adorable updo. And then she's got like the little wispies on the side. Ugh, anyway, Because okay. they, they're kind of, they look more like flyaways to kind of sit in the front. Whereas like Courtney mm-hmm. Cox's, well, first of all, it's a wig that they cut. Oh, is um, it really? So stupid. Yeah. It was, it's because David Arquette, they were married at the time and it was his idea because they walked some movie or something and it it looked like the actress and then he was like wouldn't that be cool if you like mirrored this character's like look and she was like sure because they're like in the honeymoon phase so she'll do whatever he asked her to do and so they like cut the spilling all the tea over here she i mean she it's in an interview you can watch it but um she cuts it and it looks very jaggedy like someone took scissors like like upwards and went it's just very crooked and it's not cute. I'm not a fan. I think Melissa Milano, Alyssa Milano did it, it. She looked okay with it, but I think that I like SMG the best. Yeah. Of the ones that I saw in that time period. I don't think it looks yeah. bad, but I no, also think she looks not. good in anything. But anyway, so Angelus, Angelus, he starts running around. Poor Daniel, as we find out his name is, poor victim. And we find out this is like before his wedding day. It's like his wedding week. This poor man is being taunted by Angelus and like he gets shoved into a corner and Jealous's very uncomfortable accent comes out. He's like, Daniel, be of good cheer. It's Christmas. <laughs> I think his accent has improved since becoming I think so DB, too. A shout out for like, I don't know, additional uh, It's approved, but it's not good. It's still. never good. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but we've embraced the, it. The improvement is appreciated. Hey guys, nothing can be worse than Dick Van Dyke's like British accent and uh, Mary Poppins. That has been like the number one worst accent on television, like charted on everything for the past like oh, six really? years. His Cockney. Imagine, uh, imagine that being like like ranked, and you're like in your 80s, 90s, and you're still having to live that one. Aww. That's true. But I love I, it's very charming. It's kind of cute. Like, but like as an adult, you're watching it and you're like, where are you from? You're blending like like two different accents into one. I think it's really interesting that in this episode, the, the victims that were shown, Margaret and Daniel, are both people that are from a they're not. I know Margaret is a servant, but Daniel, he talks about how Daniel is in his debt, like playing cards and stuff. And I think it's interesting Mm. that they have Angelus preying on people that are not in powerful positions and are but are in positions that can be easily manipulated and controlled and stuff. And I think that's a really interesting choice for Angelus. Like he probably could go after anybody he wants to, but I think he likes to play with them beforehand and he can get away with it more easily with people that are in a less fortunate situation or people that are just like vulnerable in their emotions. Like Buffy was going through a breakup with him and he was like, this is the time to screw with you anyway. So he has a flashback in his dream of when he killed Daniel angel wakes up. I feel like this used to be called like, like angel pants and like I was I wrote the in my entire notes at one episode. point RIP to Tab. I said my thoughts are with Tabby at this time because it there's makes a lot me of uncomfortable. Like Tabby I like it. I <laughs> love this episode and I love DB, but it's like it. I just can't. It's too much at some points. I'll be real honest with you. That's Tabby that's my like biggest breathers. No, that's it's so just funny. okay. Here's the thing. I never noticed it until we had to really break down the show, and then I noticed it. And then as soon as you notice how much and it really feels like he's trying to make it come out as like an actor 
And I think as soon as it broke the ice with that, I was like, I can only see him like trying so hard to like work up his like anxiety. I don't so what know. you're telling me is you're uncomfortable with male emotions? No, when he's sobbing on the on the oh, hilltop, I'm like, I'm like, I'm a whore for this. <laughs> well, what's it's really the funny panting. is that what's really funny is, and I, it's so funny that people criticize Angel about this all the time on on forums. Is like he is the like most like breathe. He breathes so much like that. Like mm-hmm. you said, he, he's exacerbated, and he's a freaking vampire. He doesn't breathe. Mm-hmm. But like he's constantly oh, that's breathing. True. Yes. And, oh um, yes, I love in Prophecy Girl. He's like, oh, I have no exactly. breath. He's like out of breath from it's running. Like, um, <laughs> you sure about that, buddy? Because, uh, but yeah, I can hear the air in your mic, dude. <laughs> it's funny. Yes. So we see Angel kind of you know walking around, panting, being all uncomfortable in like the streets because he's being taunted by his dream, and it's like the middle of the night, and then he runs into Buffy's bangs. I mean Buffy. Um, <laughs> We are all, well, like, I'm sitting there, like, I can't focus on what they're saying because I'm like, wow, that's a new hairstyle. My favorite part is when I watch reactors on YouTube that are males, and uh, it's been like two different people, and they've sat there and been like, oh, Buffy looks a little different. And they couldn't tell you what is different. They have no oh idea. Gosh, it's so all funny. it's all the girls that's who are like, hilarious. oh my gosh, her hair's different. But they're sitting there that's being so like, funny. like, that's stereotype. They're trying to figure out what's different. No, that's seriously, that stereotype of guys I not understanding understand. is so true. Buffy asks if he's shopping, and he's all aloof. She asks if he's good. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm all right. He asks, how is she? He's like, I'm okay, but how are you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know. The smallest, thing. like, thing between them. I'm like, Ee! I love them. I, I think it's interesting. As, a, as the theme of this episode, like, one of the themes is addiction. I think it's important to note that Angel is spiraling because the first is targeting him, but there's also a reason he's so vulnerable because he doesn't have Buffy in his life at this time to help him. He's alone. And I think they're making a point of showing that because like, that's what happens when you don't have a support group, when you don't feel like you have people there with you. It's so much easier to spiral. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. like it p- totally prevents it, but it just helps to know that you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Especially with the themes, Pascal couple episodes where Buffy has mentioned that being alone isn't good. I like that this is kind of after that. Right. Well, I think all the way back to um, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, the first time Giles and Angel even meet in the library, they mm-hmm. bond because they're talking about how being alone is one of the worst feelings you can ever feel. And I think that's something that Angel has experienced for most of his life as being the only vampire with a soul. And I think it's probably even harder for him now because he's experienced what it's like to have someone that understands him and then having to live without that. So he's in an extra vulnerable state right now. Mm-hmm. The Buffy mentions that she's getting gifts for the gang. So cute. Gosh, they don't deserve her. Well, we also find out later that she had – Okay, well, they might be getting gifts for her too, guys. Let's not judge Oh, I'm judging. There's, I need to see them buying gifts for her. <laughs> Buffy, Buffy, we find out later, she already bought Faith a gift that day. Like, I didn't even catch that until we rewatched this. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, when she was out buying it for the quote-unquote gang, she bought Faith one. I know. So all of those things about people saying Buffy was not a good friend to Faith and stuff, no. No, no, no. Yep. Not tolerated. Sticking up for my girl. Um, and then Angel sees Daniel in the crowd. Um, also, the music in this is just hitting. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Christoph Beck. I think this has got to be one of his best episodes that he composed, like across the board. I will say the overall, just like aesthetic of this episode is mm-hmm. beautiful. Like 
the wardrobe, the like atmosphere. I'm also just a sucker for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So anything that feels like Christmas, I'm like, it's amazing. But it's just like you can tell that they took a lot of time and effort into creating the atmosphere of this episode. This episode kind of feels more so like you're watching a Christmas movie than an actual like episode, which I love. Yep. And then I love these like transitions between like what we see and then them talking about it. And so we see in the hallway, Buffy's kind of like explaining what's happening with Angel, how she's a little bit worried or that he's acting weird. And then Xander's like, Angel, weird? What are the odds? I was really proud of her for just finally saying, you know, Xander enough yeah. because I feel like she doesn't do that enough. I feel like characters in general don't do it enough. And it it was good. I need I need more of that. Well, I mean, she tells him enough after and this is the only time I'm gonna gripe on him this episode because everyone knows this is when he's he's good in this episode. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah. not gonna let him go off get off the hook for like this line because he goes like, Oh, it must be about Angel going off and killing his girlfriend. Yeah, Jaws is pretty petty about that sort of stuff. Like, Xander, we know this. What's the point of bringing it up? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And what's the point of bringing yeah. it up to Buffy? Like mm-hmm. she already, you know, feels a sense of personal responsibility for what, you know, she thinks that she should have been able to stop him or whatever. Xander should kind of, I feel like he should recognize that and not keep, you know, messing he with should. that. He should recognize. You'd think he's already said his piece, you know, multiple episodes. But I, one of the things that I do love about this episode, I mean, apart from everything I've listed above, is I feel like this season has been very tough for the gang. I feel like they've been very divided. I feel like we've had a lot of like really rough arguments. We've had a lot of deception. We've had, you know, the whole affair with Willow and Xander, all that stuff. And so I think this episode was very much needed um, in a season that has been very divisive and has been kind of dark. And so I just appreciate that the writers understand that and that there is that little bit of levity in this, in this show. You're like, Finally, but th- I think that's why maybe this episode hits really hard too, is because not only is it Christmas, but there's so many things that you as a viewer just desperately need. And it's been 10 freaking episodes in season mm-hmm. three. And you're like, Still reeling from Dead Man's oh, Thank you. Seriously. Or yeah. Revelations was yeah. just like, oh, God. Yeah. This scene with Cordy makes me a little bit upset. Yes, they should be allotting Cordy some slack, be- as Willow says after, um, just because of all the stuff that she's been through. But it's like when you're dating somebody, I don't care if you guys break up. Like There are certain things that they tell you in confidence as human beings that you should never expose. And I feel like she really crossed the line with this one. We don't get very much about Xander's past life. We, we just don't really know. We haven't known about him and we've only been getting little bits and pieces. And so to hear that he has to sleep outside on Christmas Eve tells a lot about his family life. And so for Cordelia to bring that up, I think, yeah, that's that's pretty harsh. I think it's hard because it's like, yes, she's in pain and yes, he did a wrong to her, but I also am such a firm believer in people telling you things and confidence should really stay there. Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of it, – it's, it's a little scummy for her to say it. Yeah, just because he hurt her doesn't give her the right to be terrible mm-hmm. uh, back. I mean, but this mm-hmm. is kind of very – I mean, I'm not surprised by it either. And Cordelia can be like this, um, particularly when she's hurt. She can be quite harsh and she knows where to hit people. Mm-hmm. 
I'm very proud of Willow, though. I feel like this is one of the first episodes mm-hmm. where I felt like Willow was genuine in her remorse. Um, not that she wasn't genuine before, but I feel like there was more of a mix of self-preservation. In this one, Willow seems to fully own her mistake. Um, and she's very much like I'm I'm in the Christmas spirit. I'm going to just deal with my own stuff and I'm not going to fault Cordelia for hers at this point because I understand that I hurt her. And I think that that was growth on Willow's part. Yeah. No, I agree. And then as she's talking about forgiveness is pretty much a big theme with her this year, Oz pops up. And I, I loved how like Xander, if you watch him, he go, he kind of recoils oh, into his chair and covers his face. It's very funny. You're like, yes, Xander, feel, feel guilty. guilty. Yeah. Feel the pain. <laughs> yep. And then they have a cut shot of them inside a classroom. And this scene. Then he goes on to explain in such a mature way that – that he is aware that Xander and Willow have a history um, and he'll never know if it'll fully be over, but that he misses her and that he can only control how he feels and how much he's going to put into the relationship. And I feel like that's so mature. It's like him sitting here being like, you know what? I'm recognizing that you guys have a history that he will be in your life um, and that I can never fully know or fully trust you, but I'm putting my faith in the relationship. It's very sweet. Oz is, he's just a better man than all of us. <laughs> Cause I don't know how he came back from that. That would mm-hmm. be so hard. Oh, seriously. All the time. But I mean, <laughs> the only thing about Oz and I mean, I love him so much. I think I know what you're going to say. It's <laughs> like, there's, he's flawless. There is no flaw yeah. in his character, the way he handled. Yeah. I mean, and this is, you know, stuff that, that, other people have mentioned before the way he handled when Willow wanted to kiss him the first time, how he said, you know, I want it to be special and meaningful the way he handles this situation. He, there's no growth for this guy because he's already like up here. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's got, he sets this ex- incredibly high bar. Um, and you know, you got to love him for it. You know, he's incredibly lovable and the way that he deals with this particular situation is almost I mean, it's almost, you know, who could, who could actually do this? Who could actually say, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what, yeah. I'm, you know, forgiving you and we're going to move on in the way that he does it. Um, and I always wonder why they chose to just make him perfect, the perfect boyfriend. Um, and I wonder if that's because that's what they felt Willow needed as a character. Um, because she's so insecure, she needed that extra validation. Maybe. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is true. And I I don't know if you watched Passion of the Nerds analysis because he brought that up as well. And he right. was just like, he goes, that's my only, I mean, we love him for it, but that's the only beef we have with him. Like there's nowhere for him to go. And if Oz was on the screen more, I don't, I mean, I struggle to say that it wouldn't be interesting because I think Oz is just fun to watch. But for the long term, it's just like you have to have somewhere that you're going with your character. Right. The hard part is like if we – how to explain this? Since he's already so high up there, if they try to give him flaws now, it it would feel so unauthentic and just kind yeah. of pushed in there. It's just – I don't know. It's like when you start out so great and then you start to give them flaws later on too, it doesn't like sit well because you're like, well – Everybody goes, oh, they ruined his character. And yeah. it's like, well, maybe they just made him more human or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get there when we get there. I have different <laughs> opinions on that one. I'm not speaking – I'm speaking to like generically in case anything ever were to happen. Not saying, you know. Yeah. Anyway, very sweet scene. 
Um, we cut to the tree lot where Joyce and Buffy are looking at trees. Um, and then Joyce kind of mentions like inviting Faith, does the whole mom guilt trip thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can mm-hmm. tell Buffy's not opposed to it. I think that she's a little bit uncomfortable because they haven't talked in a while. Um, and then that whole funny thing where Buffy is like, oh, we should invite Giles. And she's like, uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and then walks away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joyce, now what possibly could be preventing you from asking Giles to come over for Christmas? I mean, it would be a great time to introduce him to Buffy. Say, this is my new boyfriend. <laughs> in my dreams. Please, Joyce. In my dreams. <laughs> um, and then Angel wakes up from the dream seeing all the bringers. And then we see Faith's hotel. We haven't seen this hotel in a couple episodes. I'm like, oh. It's been a while. Yeah. Buffy knocks on the door. Eliza Dushku's makeup is really gorgeous in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like they put her in a nude lip, which I love that they softened her makeup look a little bit. Normally it's a lot darker and a little bit more harsh. Um, and I think they were intentionally trying to make her look a little bit more vulnerable and younger mm-hmm. and younger. Yeah, because she's alone on Christmas and she's basically yes. Buffy's age. Yeah. It's really sad. Agreed. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, she still wears black in the episode, but it's not like leather and like dark. It's like she wears like a a black button up and then like a little skirt. She wears, yeah, she wears like a beige um, uh, jacket. And the script specifically says that she dressed a little bit. They said more, like more human or something Mm -hmm. like that, um, or softer for when she came to Buffy's house. Like it was Faith's version of trying to dress Mm -hmm. nice, you know. And then, oh, this This scene, this scene with Giles. (gasps) Mm-hmm. The contrast between how homey and cozy Giles' place yeah. is like they have him cooking dinner. Uh-huh. He's like, you know, it just feels like you're in his kitchen with him. And then how alone and cold and I mean, it's not cold outside, but like aloof Angel is in contrast to Giles's house. Like he even like throws the towel over his shoulder at one point And like it just feels like he's got his suspenders down. Like he's just very relaxed and stuff. And I think that the way they did the lighting and the set design and stuff for this scene in particular just really helps with telling the story that they want to tell in this moment. And it's so good. I can't talk enough about it. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Stewart has acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the guy is oh a genius, gosh. but the way – that he his face drops the, the reaction to Angel saying I'm sorry to bother you mm-hmm. I mean it could not be any more perfect um you know the way that this is their first interaction right I mean since he tortured mm-hmm. him so yeah since he so. found his girlfriend's body in that same yeah. house that they're in right now well he tortured him after that yeah I guess oh, I guess they've seen each other but I guess I was just thinking I love the symmetry of the fact that they're in the actual house where Angel set up or Angela set up all that stuff like it's there it's present and then for Jenny to just appear oh what a visual reminder of what we're already thinking so good yeah so but good. I I will say. I love the way that they chose to have Giles handle Mm -hmm. this because it is perfect and it's imperfections in the way that he's human and you can tell he's angry and he's mad. It's kind of like almost a a perfect contrast of the reason why we're frustrated with Oz. It's like Oz has zero flaws. He shows no anger or frustration with Willow. He says it, but it's, it's kind of like, he's already moved past it. Like he's already moved on. And I love Oz, so I'm not like hating on him. But I'm saying that like the way that they choose to have Anthony Stewart act mm-hmm. it or he choose to act it, chose whatever. You guys know what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Yep. Um, is so beautiful mm-hmm. because he communicates 
that he's still very angry and very much distrusting of Angel. Rightfully so, though. And you know? it still shows that Giles is still a good man. Like, Angel is the person who has hurt him the most on the planet right now. Like, Angel is Angel, different people, but still, like, Angel bears that hurt. Um, and yet he still chooses to help him. Yeah, he lets him in. But he's still flawed. He's still mm-hmm. flawed in that helping because he kind of makes fun of him and he's kind of still angry and he's he's not like, yeah, come in. Mm-hmm. You know, he isn't fully compassionate about now. the situation he's in. He's like, exactly. hey, exactly. Like, but what he's happened still last time. offering help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that is a really, really awesome way to have his character handle things. Uh, one of the great things about this show, the you know, obviously I'm a I'm a Buffy stand for, for a lot of reasons, is that in everything has consequences. Everything that happens in mm-hmm. the show will always have a consequence. You will never have something ignored. And I think that's probably why the Oz stuff bothers me a little bit, you know, um, because it's one of those things that I don't necessarily know that the show really explores those consequences. But but this is an example of that. You know, Giles is going to do his job. He's going to do his duty and help Angel. But the things that Angel did, the the interactions between themselves, you know, them, the, these two characters and the events that took place last season are still being felt this season. The consequences of those um, actions are mm-hmm. still being felt. And that's why the writing in this show is so great. Everything has consequences and the characters continue to have that conflict. Um, and you see that, of course, in this interaction, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Shout out to the person that kind of like, um, was it Joss who directed this episode? Mm-hmm. And wrote it. Yeah. Um, so the directing portion um, I just found was so intelligent was the fact that he kind of like he picks up the crossbow as he tells him he can come inside right and so he still holds it on him as he's talking and explaining and then as soon as angel kind of like shows him he can like relent that he's being serious he starts to put it down but as he's putting it down that's when jenny pops up so it's kind of like a reminder of like as soon as he's letting his guard down, it's like he's still being reminded, but you still killed his girlfriend. Him holding up the crossbow is him not trusting him. It's him like having his guard up. And then it's like that person on Angel's end is not allowing himself to be forgiven. And so as soon as Giles, quote unquote, not necessarily forgives him, but kind of like relents a little bit, putting his crossbow down. It's like Angel can't allow himself to be forgiven. He sees Jenny and then he's reminded again. The other thing um, that I wanted to mention in this scene is just kind of thinking about, you know, how desperate Angel must be in this particular point in the first um, torturing him because he goes to Giles' house full well and knowing um, what he did to Giles. And you know that Angel blames himself and feels guilty over it. So for him to show up on Giles' doorstep and ask him for help um, just kind of speaks to how desperate he is to just to try and figure out what's going on with him. Um, it, I really think mm-hmm. it kind of gives us a good idea into like his headspace at this point. It's a good picture too of someone that is wrestling with um, relapse or addiction. Who are the people that you're going to hurt the most? It's probably the people that are closest to you, that you're your friends. And so I think 
Um, this is a picture of sometimes people don't want to ask for help because they feel like they don't deserve it or they feel like they've hurt people so much that they just that they can't even ask for help. And so I really, really love how this episode deals with that and kind of shows the different aspects and layers of that. Um, so Angel has another dream, and this one, this one hurts. This one is I mean, there are there are obvious parallels to situations that people find themselves in. And I think it's just hard to watch. Like, oh, he just like taunts her, uses, weaponizes like her situation against her, her son. Um, She's begging him to let her go. And you see her just like he will, he weaponizes a lot of that against her. And you see her in her face being like, like having to build up that wall of just like being like, okay, it's going to happen. And I just have to like, let it happen. And it's like people who have been in situations paralleling to this, I just like my heart goes out to you because it's hard to watch even in a mystical sense. They feel like they have to let themselves be taken advantage of because they don't want to hurt other people or they don't want to make a scene Mm -hmm. or they, and that's how people in abusive situations operate Mm -hmm. in predatory. And I think this is also even just like, like I talked about with Margaret and Daniel, it's a symbol of class privilege, I think at times too, Mm -hmm. showing Mm -hmm. how there's such a sense of like, you know, she has like no job security, right? Like she can't go to someone and say, hey, this dude is harassing me. Like Angel probably took on the form of some, had noble or whatever and had some status of power apart from being a vampire in that in that uh, society as well. Um, in uh, Angel's, in this dream, the background music is Pachelbel's Canon in D, which is a Baroque era piece from the 1700s. But if the time period can be assumed the same as in the man that he killed for Daniel, which was 1838, then Pachelbel's canon would not have been circulating during that time as apparently the music was lost until the 20th century, which I thought was a little funny. It doesn't really matter, but as a music geek, I have to kind of- Oh, I thought this was Victorian. The way they were dressed. It looks like we're progressing further in time. Mm -hmm. Did they say when exactly it was? It doesn't have a year, but I guess I thought the house- Oh, it says 1883. It's 1883, so it's the same year as he killed Daniel. Well, that was 1838, right? Yeah, that was 1838. Gosh, why are they confusing me with just swapping the two? (laughs) I think this one looks like it's like a few decades after. Only because her her the Victorian. That would make more um, sense if we're progressing a little bit further. Her maid's outfit doesn't look like 1838. Yes, true. Yeah, it look does look more Victorian. Yeah. So she cries out, sir, my son, he drinks her, looks up, and Buffy is standing there staring at him. I love the contrast between the lighting on Buffy and Angel in the shadows for Mm. most of this Mm -hmm. episode. I forgot to mention it, but in the um, scene with Giles and Angel, Giles is in – got light on his face. He's got a lot of light around him from Mm. the kitchen, and Angel is in the shadows. Um, and then in this one, Angel again is in the shadows and then Buffy, like they, there's this scene and then the scene in the library when Buffy's having the dream about Angel, she's got a glow on her. And so they, they intentionally contrast them lighting wise. And I think it's to kind of show Buffy's like symbol of hope is the one who's going to help. Um, they both wake up and then we realize like, I, I don't think I really realized the first couple of times that they, like she was actually in his dream. I don't know how I missed that one. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know now. And I know like, you know, the last couple of times, but I think like when you watch it, I don't know, maybe some things get lost on you and you forget that you know that, but you do know it. And I was like, Oh, that's <laughs> odd that she like dream hopped. But 
I still don't. Yeah. There's certain things about Buffy's like dreaming and prophecy that I'm still a bit hazy on. And I've seen the show like a bajillion times. I don't I quite think we're get fully that. supposed to understand yeah. it. I think we're just supposed to know that Buffy has premonitions, but I think it like we're also not supposed to know the like extent of the first's power. So it's quite possible the first incorporated Buffy into the dream. It's not necessarily Buffy's own power that brought her in there. There's a couple different interpretations. That was mm-hmm. how. That's how I have always looked at it. Is that the first has this ability to somehow place people in in dreams and and manipulate dreams because of course you know the scene that we'll talk about in a little bit i mean that's not a Mm -hmm. prophecy dream that's yeah something else. yeah that seems pretty real (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll see it as real my headcanon is real give them a moment okay so this conversation or interaction between first jenny and angelus or not angelus an angel um, I just I love it because it kind of shows the inner dialogue between somebody going really going through this because it's like everything that she says is what is how they speak to themselves or how they view in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, he's asking her to leave him alone. She says, "I can't. You won't let me." And then he said, "I'm sorry for what I've done. What else can I say to you?" The way that the um, the first operates within the context of this episode is that the first exists because it's the first evil. So you have this mindset that there's an evilness inside of Angel and the first, that's the only power that the first can Mm. hold over him. And so it's this concept of, you know, that's the beauty or like the beauty, the darkness, I guess, but then also like how, what makes this episode work so well is, hey, like I'm you, I'm the darkness in you. I am your deepest, worst desires manifested. um, And that's what is taunting him. And the, you know, the first here says something that I kind of jotted down is I just want to show you who you are. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the identity stuff that I'm talking about. And to your point, Sarah, Mm -hmm. that this is the first evil. And so if Angel is evil or if he has evil in him, is that mm-hmm. who he is? Is that his destiny? Yeah. Is that only who he is? Yeah. Can he be something else? Yeah, totally. Which is which are all questions I think we all have asked ourselves. It's like mm-hmm. you tend to look at your worst mistakes and think that you're sacrificed to that the rest of your life, you know? That that's like mm-hmm. that's the the board painted on your forehead when you walk around, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, that's what people see you as. Well, and it's also bad because it's literally coming from the mouths of yeah. these victims. I know. like So it's like, it's 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 almost worse than hearing it from yourself because it's like, there's always a part of him that I think that wants to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so it's like literally hearing it from the people that you did the worst things to, mm-hmm. that you will never be better than that. Mm-hmm. Like that is – it is no wonder he's on a hill at the end of the episode. Like that will take anyone mm-hmm. to a very mm-hmm. dark place. So this next scene with Giles and Buffy, she says there's something wrong with him. And I love the desperation on her face. Um, I think that that speaks a lot to how much that she really truly cares about him. And then she just tells him like, I'm not seeing Angel anymore. This is me genuinely wanting to make sure that he's okay. And I think Giles agreeing to help her is also, like we talked about before, speaks a lot to his character. And then Xander obviously agreeing to help too, I think is absolutely fantastic. It's something that we needed to see. Gold stars for Xander all around. Woo, yay. (laughs) Finally can give him stars. (laughs) One thing that I read um, 
and you know, I've read so many things along the years. I don't know where I read this, but is that this is an angel point of view episode uh, or yes. that you could look at it as an angel point of view episode sure. and that this is maybe the way angel views what he would like to see. And so is that why oh, we're seeing Xander? Everybody's being all kind. <laughs> Xander come in and help him. Um, and maybe, you know, because of this, Christmas spirit or whatever decide that he he wants to help because obviously what Angel really wants is to be forgiven. He wants to be redeemed. He wants, um, you know, the Scoobies to 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 help him or to or to be part of the gang. I guess right. Um, I always thought it was strange that Xander just had this change of heart suddenly and decided. You don't think he would come in and be like, "Yeah, I'll help you after you know all this." Stuff. I don't know that I. I don't know that I. Do do you think he would or he wouldn't? But I just I I find it I find it a little odd. Or I mean, especially he was just bashing him a couple of scenes before, and now here he is saying, "Okay, I've got the Hanukkah spirit." Um, so it's an interesting kind of theory that you know this is maybe it wouldn't quite make sense if he's bashing him or like or like talking about his pettiness or whatever at the beginning of the episode and then going to this like I feel like that might be slightly inconsistent. But or or is it that he he does? I mean, if that if it's an angel point of view episode, you know, angel acknowledging that Xander does not like him but is agreeing to help anyway um, because he needs the help. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. again, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Xander probably would help push come to shove. He's, he's a good person. Um, but it was an interesting kind of theory that I saw. I always yeah. kind of viewed it as like he didn't want to be at home. And so it was like the best case scenario out of like the two crappy ones in his perspective. And then as he was thinking about it being like, you know what? He was like, what's the point of me sitting here and like holding a grudge? So I feel like there's a lot more of like an inner dialogue that we didn't get to see. I think my thing is, is that I think that right now we are seeing Xander at a very humbled place. Yeah. Mm, I think it's like that's true. One, he's dealing with a lot with his family, and holidays and family bring up a lot. And I think it can you can kind of see a different side of yourself. But I also think it's like he also has been very much humbled by Cordelia in this episode, and it's like that brings up a lot. And then it's like I think also seeing the fact that Buffy is going through a lot with Angel, like, and I'm the first person to call Xander out. But I, I do really think that this could just be a scenario of like mm. Sanders at a very raw place right now. Mm. And I think he wants to feel good. And I think helping someone makes you feel good. Yeah. yeah. I I will say too, like for credit to him, like they have this whole like, it's not even really like a montage or whatever, but like you just see time passing a ton in the library. And we rarely see that. We rarely see that. how much research. And I like the fact that they showed how much went into the research of helping Angel because everybody had a hand in it. Everyone really tried to help Angel and it took a long yes. time. Yeah. And I think that's really important because that's something we kind of talked about in Revelations and even Dead Men's Party. We were frustrated by the fact that like there are as- there are moments in season two where like Willow hangs out with Angel. Like, I mean, I know Xander's never really liked him, but Giles had somewhat of a friendship with him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was like nobody seemed to be understanding like the gap that Angel made once he died and once he was killed by Buffy. Nobody really seemed to uh 
mourn his loss. I mean, I know he was evil, but there also seemed to be very little sympathy for Buffy and how like the gap that she was trying to recover from with Angel not being there. And so it was frustrating because it was like, but he's been a part of your lives. Like even in um, Surprise, like he helped you research about the judge and stuff. So Angel was there. He was a part of your lives to a certain extent. And so I think seeing moments yeah. like this where they're all actively trying to help Angel is in a way, I think in Joss's sometimes not well done way is his way of trying to show that everybody is okay now that they are actually like they do recognize how important Angel is in Buffy's life and they want to help and stuff. Um, so I kind of have to take those little crumbs and be like, okay, this is Joss's way of doing reconciliation. We aren't going to get it verbally, but we have to see what everybody's doing. Yeah. Um, and then we have the sweet conversation where Buffy's like, Really just like listening to Willow and like understanding, giving her some really good advice. Like Willow mentions that it's kind of awkward with Oz that like um, that she doesn't really know what to do. Like it's just – it's not very organic at this point. There is a phrase in the script that is not in the scene. And Buffy says after that line that you just said, Tabby, she says, well, he does have a point. Xander was your first love. That's – and then it says thinking of herself. That's hard to let go of. Mm. And then she goes into Xander as a piece of you, all that stuff. And, you know, obviously she's thinking about Angel in that moment. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a couple of interesting little things that they cut out. And I was like, I wonder why. Like yeah. it can't just be for time. Like, and it and takes two seconds. I'm like, why, like yeah. why are you cutting out something that takes like five seconds? In the script, yeah. that is really important. Yeah. Um, but she just says, um, Xander has a part of you that Oz can never touch. Um, and she says, I guess now it's just about showing Oz he comes first. I feel like that's a very realistic way of looking at it. Yeah. Though. Instead of being like, oh, no, he knows you always love yeah. him and stuff like that. It's like, no, there's going to be some doubt there. Yeah. Which is kind of like what Oz said, too. He was like, I know you guys have history. And he's kind of like being like, I'm – I'm aware of this and it's like I can't ever sit here and be like I know you won't hurt me in the future but all I can do is just trust you. So this next scene with this guy in a suit I realized and I'm sure Sarah's going to mention this too but I realized the past couple watches like he's a modern person so this had to have happened when Angelus was here from like what innocence to the end of surprise until like the end of becoming part two like we don't really see it. But I love it because I think that it speaks to how awful Angelus was and it shows that yeah. he was just – he was out doing malicious things intentionally to people apart from trying to hurt Buffy just because he's evil, you know? Um, and then there's kind of like this like transition between Daniel saying he was going to be married that week and then um, Margaret mentioning that – Liam was a loser. Well, the symmetry between her saying, yes, cry out, make a scene is the same thing that Angelus taunted her with back in the scene where he changed her yeah. or I guess killed her. She didn't become a vampire. But she's taunting him saying, yes, cry out, make a scene, saying that's what you said to me as well. He says, um, or the uh, angel tells Jenny as the first, that wasn't me. A demon isn't a man. I was a man once. And so here we have again, angel struggling with, you know, his identity, you know, who he is, the feeling of culpability for his crimes. Um, and he's sort of having this inner struggle. And the first is saying, you know, well, isn't it you? And then also, let's talk about when you were a man. And then you have this flashback to him being a worthless man, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Passion of the Nerd talks about how there's three separate entities of angel or characters of angel in this um, in this show. You have Liam, you have Angelus, and you have Angel. And it's like Angel is some combination of the three of them, which I think makes for a very interesting character. Yeah. And I guess we, you know, there are different ways to view, and this is a much bigger conversation than this episode, right? There are, there are different ways to view um, Angel, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with how you think of Soul Cannon in the Buffyverse. But what is true is that I think canonically we know that Liam, you know, is not the same person that Angel is. I mean, that's just, we see that yeah, in, they're in not. the way that Angel is mm-hmm. and how he communicates and how he acts and how he talks. We also see that Angelus is not the same as Angel. Um, and, you know, I like to think of like this, the sum is greater than, or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. you know, that Angel is, you know, a different person than Liam because he has, you know, Angelus's history, the demon that lives inside him and, you know, a completely different purpose and journey. He has different experiences Um, too. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is actually encouraging for Angel to look back on and say, if those things can change me so much, that means I can actually become someone later on. Like those don't have to define who I am now. I can take that and learn from that and become someone new as time goes forward. And it's encouraging for us too. Like we don't have to always be stuck with who we were in the past. We can change and grow from that, you know? Um, and then in the morning in the library, everyone's still researching. Ooh, Poor Buffy is knocked out up in the stacks. Um, and then they, you know, have a conjoined dream bang. Dream um, bang. Conjoined then- dream bang. <laughs> so romantic. Oh, caps. my gosh. <laughs> so romantic. This is gorgeously shot. Um, this is so it gorgeous. Is. Like they have Buffy on the dark red carpet and the contrast between her. I also noted they put Buffy in a lot of blue this episode. Did you guys notice that? But she also, I mean, SMG just looks gorgeous in that color too. She just looks great. Yeah, she really, she looks amazing in baby blue mm-hmm. in general. Um, the music in this episode is, I mean, in this scene in particular is very pretty. It is the same music that plays when they Buffy had that dream about their night together in season two. It's just got the bells underneath it. And so you have like the same like wind instruments playing and making that wistful feeling and like dreamlike state. It's just very beautiful. Um, He ends it with him biting her, which is just kind of like mirroring how he's thinking. He's like, like, I want to, you know, take over her. I want to find peace. I want to find comfort in her. And I don't care that it might hurt her. I don't care that it might um, make me the, the demon that I'm not wanting to be at this point. It's like him just like getting to a point where he's about to like explode. He's like, I'm not sure what to do. And so he's falling back on what he does know, um, which is, you know, again, like all of this is very metaphoric. It's like when you're having such a hard time and you're so tired of trying to be a person that your default isn't, it's such a hard, it's like going against the grain. And so when you're exhausted, the first thing you want to do is just fall back on what is comfortable for you. And so that's what's happening with Angel. I just really feel like I have to defend him because it's like, I don't know. It's like it, it, people who don't understand television, people who don't understand all these things can be like, well, why does he want to, why does he want to hurt her? Like, mm-hmm. why is he okay with all of this? And it's like, he's exhausted with having to fight his mm-hmm. literal demons all the time, mm-hmm. having to be a better person every single day. And he's falling back on what he knows and he's 
He doesn't know how to fight. And I think what's happening, I mean, they have the bringer that's in that room. So I think they're trying to show that the bringer is manifesting this. So even though Angel and Buffy are actually physically experiencing what's happening in this dream, they're not in full control, I think, in this moment. I think the bringer is just trying to like have them experience it. And he wants to tempt, the first wants to tempt Angel to taste Buffy for nefarious reasons, you know, to obviously like push him over the edge. Um, on a lighter note, when it flashed over, I've seen this episode, episode so many times, but it flashed over and I forgot the bringer was in the room. And for real, I thought that was Spike for a second. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> no, Could you legit. imagine? I was like, what the heck is that? And I was like, okay, bringer. Because like he's like shaved head. It looks like it was like blonde. I don't know. Anyway, I was like, whoo, okay. Whew, no. Spike's not there. I just want to say that, um, and I, and we talked, you talked a little bit about this, Sarah, but I, I do think that they're actually experiencing this. It's not just a dream. Sure. And, um, and I think this is honestly the best sex scene we get in the whole show. I agree. It's so amazingly it's tender. It's tender. <laughs> it's tastefully it's, done, but you experience, you know what they're feeling. Ugh, so good. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. actually, I mean, you know, obviously in surprise, we don't see a lot of, you know, skin or whatever. Right. You see all of her back, you see all of his back, and right. there's a lot um, shown, and yet it's it's really beautifully done, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of why the bite is always like, you know, Whoa. oh my gosh, you know, he, you know, that's where <laughs> he, you know, he goes with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, But it is, like, Tabs, what you're saying is that, you know, this is really Angel's greatest fear. Mm-hmm. Because he does desire Buffy, and he says that right. I, he desires her. He loves her. He desires her in a lot of ways, and he still has a demon inside him that craves yes. that you know has you know craves that blood. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is really it's 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 almost it's like his it's a dream that turns into his worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. I always yep. think of is it bad eggs where he says. When I kiss you, you won't wake up. And she says, when you kiss me, I want to die. Is that the, is that the reptile boy? Is that reptile boy? Reptile Look boy. you. Yeah. Know your banjo moments. Well, because it happens right after, like, he's all jealous. Oh, you're right. Okay. I can never remember, like, mating dance. Yeah, bad eggs is, yeah, okay. Gotcha. I can never remember all those, like, tiny me, little, like, die. little moments interspersed in those scenes in uh, season two. But, yeah. Oh, yep. It's beautiful. They wake up from the dream. She walks down and tells Giles um, that she had another dream, kind of skirts past that one. Giles um, <laughs> should know better than yeah. to be asking at this point. Like, dude just like walked into that one. I honestly think he really picks up on a lot of this and it's just like, whatever. He probably knows more it. than what he's letting on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and then they kind of figure out through research that of who the bringers are. They're basically doing all the dirty work for the master or the, the master. The first. Wrong bad. We're guy. done with the master. <laughs> This scene with Willie's bar is so funny. He's like, hey, the Slayer. Oh, what brings the Slayer down here? Yeah. <laughs> and all the vamps are like walking out. <laughs> what I think is so funny is Buffy fully walks into this bar knowing she's going to see vampires and stuff and is just like, guys, I have bigger issues right now. Like, I really don't care. Just don't bother me. My boyfriend's in But trouble. I also think it's funny that we we really never got an introduction to Willie. Like, he just was there one episode. Yeah. They walk and in then and it was like, like, this is Willie and Willie will be around yep. occasionally. I love that Xander's with him trying to be all macho too. It's it's just funny. I thought that was kind of endearing where he's like trying to help in a way. And then she's like, maybe you shouldn't help. <laughs> it's 
just so funny. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed. We don't get a lot of just Buffy and Xander together alone. Yeah. And I feel like the moments that they do have together are actually pretty, pretty sweet. Yep. And the Willie says they live underground. Um, and then he mentions that creatures are getting scared off in Sunnydale and nothing really scares them off. And I like how they kind of subtly mention like the weather throughout this episode right. to kind of like really drive home. Hey, it's really hot out. Everyone's because really the ending horny. won't no, make. I'm just <laughs> what? <laughs> Fair. But also, what's funny is like everybody in this episode has coats on, and I mean, coming yeah. from somebody right? who lives in Texas, yeah. where it is right, you know, like three days ago it was like eighty-five degrees. I'm like, listen, you don't put a coat on if it's like seventies. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're like your heavy coats. Yeah, I know, and I know? mean, it's it's Southern California. Like people don't really wear coats all that much. And then Xander is being all comforting outside when they walk man? out. I was like, what's going oh, on? What the heck? <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> it's a Christmas like, miracle. He's giving me whiplash. Know, right? He's giving me such whiplash. Xander makes so much sense to me in this episode because I feel like, again, kind of what I already said, like he's in a vulnerable place, but I also feel like Xander so obviously is trying to do anything to keep his mind off of what is going yeah, on in his own life and his family that he's like, yeah, I'll be there for Buffy. Yeah, like we'll go and we'll spend all Christmas chasing down Angel or whatever because I think it's just like he's distracting himself. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not faulting him for it. I'd be doing the same thing. But I just, I like that we're seeing a different side of Xander, you know, because it's like, it's giving him dimension. It's like, okay, finally, like, give me something I could root for you for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I've always wondered, is this Willow's house in this next scene or is it Oz's? And if it's Oz's, how did Willow make it inside? I'm pretty sure it's Willow's because she says, my parents are out of town. Yes. Yep. And because he's showing up with the, the VHS and everything. Yeah. It's definitely Willow's house, but we just have never seen it before. We just, I don't think we, yeah, I was yep. about to say, I was well, like, we we've never it. seen it. Oh, no, we've never seen it. No, never seen it. Brand new. Never. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. I don't know how you guys do it. It's okay. It's so funny. Every single person is always like, they just are so afraid they're going to like spoil something. We get to spoiler section. They're like, oh, okay, I can talk about whatever I want. <laughs> uh, it, I'm literally have anxiety over spoiling. Don't. Right if now. you spoil something, I'll just cut it <laughs> out. We'll cut it out. That's what I have to yeah. do all the time. I'll go back and be like, I just spoiled something there and then I have to go back. So please, no pressure. Yep. You're totally fine. Okay. And then I feel like we we all know this scene well. We all know how great Oz is. I will well, say, God love him, I will say but- though, Willow's like, you know, Buffy, things have been really awkward with Oz. I'm gonna just let's have sex. Let's go. Let's go put on very white, very white, and then like dress up in this red dress. Also, the walls match her dress. Like everything is just red. I was red. like, she really did. She like redecorate the room to match the vibe because I feel like Willow is an overachiever. Would like I don't think she actually did it, but I just like to imagine Willow and they're like painting everything so it matches her vibe perfectly. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like picking out the perfect dress so it matches. Oh my gosh. Uh, Two things about this scene that are really, you know, cute. First, she puts like, I don't know, Sprite on ice and it (sighs) cracks me up. It's like Coke on ice. It's like, you know, champagne. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is she's like, I'm ready to, you know, like, you know, it, like it, like she can't even do the thing. Yeah. Sex. And I'm like, maybe if you can't say it, maybe you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. If you can't say it. No, I, I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you cannot openly and completely discuss everything that you want to do, you're not ready to do it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. 
like and also also it's like not to be all up in their business but like have y'all done anything but make out at this point yeah not to be like, all up in your business on like characters that in a tv show that we're analyzing i mean yeah but it's business. like that's a big step to go from like and also the last person she kissed was xander i don't think they've kissed oh yeah that's let's that's give them true some time. the last person on our lips was not our boyfriend yep That's too much. Too much too soon. Kind of going back to what you said about the soda on ice, the script actually mentions that. It says it's candlelit and romantic soft music plays on the record player. A couple of bottles in parentheses of soda. Don't you just hate TV? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love that Willow, like it's such a Willow character. Right, it totally is. That she was like, oh, well, we we can't drink, so I'll just put some Sprite on ice, and it'll kind of be like champagne. <laughs> you know what I mean? I will say, I okay, I love the analogy that he uses because we all know that it strikes a nerve with Willow's character. He's like, you ever have a dream where in the middle of a play and you don't know your lines and you kind of don't know the plot? What a good way to kind of bring Willow in because you could tell she's like, oh, that's true. Well, in Nightmares, she had that dream in Nightmares where she was on stage. And yeah. And I love, okay, and this is something that I love about this specific directorial decision that I see in like movies or shows. And, And here's why I'll explain to you. Okay. I love when there's an emotional scene and they can add somewhat of a lighter tone behind it without taking you out of the scene and then bring you back in. So it's not too much for you. And I feel like this scene is a really good correlation because when they're talking about stuff and they're being really tender and, and like sweet, like Oz will stand up and then like Willow stands up because she's awkward. She's uncomfortable that Oz is standing up and they're like, where are you going? And then they have that little pause and he's like, we should sit down again. And then they both sit down. And it's like that. And I love when television can do that well mm-hmm. because it, it really feels real because most of the time, even when I've had like break breakdowns with people, I'll crack jokes while I'm like sobbing because I'm like, this is uncomfortable, you know? And I feel like that's real, you know? It balances um, that. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. Joss is pretty good about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joss has a really good yep. blend of the and dramatic, the intense, but then he'll always kind of undercut it as well. And I think he does a very good job with that. There's a um, a part that's cut out at the very end of the scene. So it ends with them kissing. It says – He kisses her, a nice one. They break apart, looking at each other with warmth. Then Willow says, then can I change out of this outfit? And Oz says, not just yet. (laughs) Which I thought was kind of cute. I love him. I know, right? Who doesn't? Uh, And then we have, like, right afterwards, the whole angel on top again. (laughs) As she's, like, zoning out on the – and you can hear the music in and you know exactly what she's thinking about. (laughs) Oh, what a good – what a good little, like – self-aware joke right in there so good uh-huh and then like joyce is putting on a fire and then it's like maybe i should put on the ac if this isn't california i don't know what is <laughs> we want to Literally. like create the mood but it's like 85 degrees our outside. family used to do that yeah. no our like being serious our family used to do that we would always set up like a fire and then we'd all get so hot we'd end up opening up a window or like turning on the ac or whatever but we would want the fire because it's christmas time yeah we all want the the feeling of I have every year I have an ugly sweater party and I like mm-hmm. pray like it's going to be cold that day because and there, uh-huh. there are years when it's not and I will put yep. down the air conditioning to like 60 degrees I'm like damn it people uh-huh. will freeze yeah exactly <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. and then Faith knocks at the door gosh and she brought the presents so sweet and the look of vulnerability on Faith's face I think is just 
it it makes this scene so heartwarming. I absolutely love Eliza Dushku. And she's like, well, you know, they're crappy. <laughs> she And she keeps ha- – she feels like she keeps having to say that. Like she says it twice. Like, uh-huh. oh, they're pretty crappy. Like she's like – I didn't bring anything that great. And I think like Faith's mentioned yeah. multiple times, like the difference in um, wealth between her and Buffy, like Faith's like, I live in a crappy yeah. hotel. Like, what are you doing on the nice or the, the not so great part of town? Um, and then being like, well, my presents aren't that great and stuff. I'm, I mean, yeah, I just love that Joyce is like, oh, your gifts are so thoughtful. Like she immediately just makes her feel good. It makes her feel welcome mm-hmm. and comfortable and it's precious. And Buffy's like, oh, let me go grab your gift. She goes up to her room and she's like, mom, don't shake it because you're going to know what it is. <laughs> and then Angel's this like, scene, though, I will say, Angel is like so dramatic in this one. I get people's criticism. But it's pretty dramatic. <laughs> Talk it about is. the panting that you hate, Tabs. Oh, no. I will say this one's not as bad as the other scenes only because like it's mirrored with like when I in this scene, I'm focusing on Sarah Michelle Geller because her face is like she's really killing it. And you're supposed to be looking at Buffy from Angel's lens. So I'm not really paying attention. It's more of like his last draw with like, you know, the first Jenny before he goes up to the hilltop where I'm like, please <laughs> shut up. I can't. I'll say the thing, the the scene where when you see Jenny behind Buffy mm-hmm. and she's out of focus and then she comes into I mean great what shot. A beautiful shot. What an amazing way to to do this scene. He's like hyper focused really on her neck, and then he's like not quite focused on her. Joss Whedon does a really good. I always, I mean, I always love, obviously love the scenes that are the uh, episodes that he directs and writes and stuff. But he has a way of filming things from a certain viewpoint and a certain angle. And I, he's talked before about how that's the beauty of him being able to write the scene as well, because when he writes it, he knows exactly how he's going to shoot it. And it allows it to just like the two to marry together in a way that it's a little bit harder for other directors, you know? Yeah. I love how the shots are like, again, from Angel's perspective. So he's like looking at the bed, he's looking at her neck, he's looking behind at Jenny, he's looking back at her neck, like, and things kind of like fizzle out between like in view and out of view and like focus, non-focused. And it kind of gives you the illusion of just him losing it like he doesn't really know what to look at he doesn't know what is real what isn't he's losing his grasp on like reality Mm -hmm. what do you guys think is the significance maybe there isn't of the sex dream being in Buffy's room and not Angel's place because I would have imagined it would have been in like the room that they had sex in in innocence or in surprise, you know, just to kind of create that continuity and stuff. But the fact that it's in Buffy's room, I thought was a really interesting decision. Yeah. I mean, I think that if the first is playing on his, you know, fear it's this fear that he is going to come into her life, mm. into her room, invading, mm, you know, her and, innocence. And, and kill. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like this, you know, we you talk you guys did a really good job of talking about innocence mm-hmm. during the innocence episode. But, you know, it is this disruption of her life because he wants her and desires her and will kill her. Mm-hmm. I think um I think it you know that that's probably why I would think that the first would choose her room instead of his because if it's his house, she came to him, right? 
And I think maybe there's an extra sense of intimacy. The fact that it's in a room where we're all familiar with it, that Buffy's familiar with it, it just it seems so much more intimate than if it was in the mansion in his bed that we haven't really seen very much and stuff too. Um, I absolutely love that choice. But I was sitting there, I was like, this is just very interesting. Like it's not what I would have thought they were mm. going to do. And then the melodramatic, leave me alone. He flies out of that window. Like, (laughs) wow. Awesome job. Buffy's over there like, what is just happening? Like the whole, you have to stay away from me. You came to see me to tell me (laughs) me I can't see you. Yeah. A library Buffy kind of goes in desperation to Giles. She tells him the angel's slipping. Um, And you see Giles being like, you know what? All right. Like if he's, if he really needs help, like he's able to to be there and to give that support. And then he says, you realize if he truly becomes a danger, you might have to kill him again. Can you do that? Her whole Giles, he's slipping just like absolutely mm-hmm. breaks my heart every time. And I love that Giles yeah. feels like he can be upfront with Buffy and say, can you kill him again? Like I'm preparing her for that because I, I do not, yeah. I feel like Tony head could have delivered these lines in a way that was very much like, can you do it again? Like, you know, are yeah. you prepared for this? Like, I don't know. I'm doubting you. But the way that he asks it is, hey, like, I care for you. I'm just asking you to be prepared for this because he wants to make sure that she's ready. And she doesn't answer. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where Buffy would have and could have. Like she still sucked. has hope in the moment. Because, I mean, even in the moment before she killed Angel, like, I don't know. I think I think she would have. I think that Buffy yeah, I mean, has proven she could do the hard things. I think Buffy, you know, has shown us time and time again that she will, you know, she will make those hard decisions. That's what becoming is about. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that, you know... I think at this point she's thinking like, no, we went through this already. Like I did this already. Like I'm not prepared to go Mm -hmm. through this again. You know, I wanted to say real fast, I forgot to mention this, but at the very end of the last scene, when Buffy says, I'll explain everything later, I promise to Faith and Faith says, watch your back. That's the exact same phrase that Kendra said to Buffy before Buffy went to go try to at least kill or confront Angelus in becoming part one. It's the last thing that Kendra said to Buffy before Kendra died. So I thought that there was a cool little symmetry there, the fact that Faith says that. Because we kind of – I think they're trying to intentionally – Joss is trying to intentionally maybe like lead us on of – and remind us of what happened in Becoming to say, ooh, there's a very real possibility that Buffy might actually have to go kill Angel in this scene, which I really – I think is kind of a cool way to to kind of parallel that. And then uh, this whole dialogue between Jenny and Angel is just oh, – it's sad. Like she says, you were never a fighter, Angel, so don't start now. He tells she tells him sooner or later you'll drink her, and he says I'll never hurt her. And she says you were born to hurt to hurt her. Have you learned nothing? And then he says, Well, then I'll die. Oh my gosh, it's just so sad because it's like Angel's stuck between this path of like what is selfish and what is unselfish. He's like, Is it selfish to kill yourself mm-hmm. because you're leaving her alone to deal with that guilt and that pain? Or is it unselfish because he would be putting her in harm's way Mm -hmm. being alive? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really hard because he's struggling with that. And then it's also that 
that greater overall thinking of like, well, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I still alive if I'm just putting the people I love at risk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that just shows how low he's gotten in his, like you're talking D about identity. He's going, I, my identity is that I'm evil. I have no greater purpose. She's shown me what I deep down desire. Therefore, the world would be better off without me. There's no purpose. There's no reason for me to live. I have no greater purpose, which is a really sad place to be at. Yeah. And I think that that one of the things about this episode is that, you know, what we've seen thus far is Angel's journey and particularly when he decided to leave the alleyways and go help Buffy has been so tied up in Buffy herself. Mm-hmm. And so his mission has been her, his purpose has been her. And what he saw, you know, or what he's kind of coming to terms with in this episode is that, in fact, he caused her great pain. Mm-hmm. And he himself, you know, you know, whether it's the demon, he, he he's taking responsibility mm-hmm. at this point, right? He's feeling guilty for what the mm-hmm. demon did. And so now when he's back, he's saying, well, is my, is my mission still Buffy? Is my purpose still Buffy? And if the first is telling me that I have brought, been brought back to hurt her, mm-hmm. then I will die, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the thing about it is the angel has the great ability to survive. I mean, we saw that. He was eating rats in an alleyway. But he's grappling right now with whether or not he should exist, right? Whether he should continue to exist in this world. That's kind of mm-hmm. what... Leah's talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, and when he when the first says, Well, no, your existence is about hurting Buffy, well, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go die. Right. And that's a very pointed argument because like like you said earlier, like she's the whole purpose for him even trying to fight in the first place, like back and becoming him going, Man, I wanna become someone. And then if she's saying, No, you're only someone because you need to hurt Buffy. Well, that completely undermines everything he's been working for and his whole identity up until this point, which is so incredibly hurtful. And I think that just one point I want to make, and I don't know when the good time to make it is, so I'll make it now, is the reason that this episode resonates with, because it does resonate with a lot of people. I mean, I know that we probably hear some negative, but there are YouTube um, reaction videos for this episode in which people feel very strongly attached to this episode because of you know, the depression that many people go through. Mm -hmm. Um, And the holidays amplifies that depression Mm -hmm. in a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, Angel has, we have seen him struggle with depression a lot throughout the episode, throughout the the show. Mm -hmm. And we finally see it coming to head here. Mm -hmm. Um, And this feeling that a lot of people feel, Mm -hmm. you know, when they are depressed, the struggle that they have is, you know, am I actually, you know, um, worth anything, you know, is my life worth anything? And so we're actually seeing angel, you know, that there's the philosophy of this, which is, you know, a different conversation, but there's the psychology of it too, that he feels worthless at this point. Um, and he feels like he's hurting the only person he loves, like literally. Um, so he's gonna, he's making the decision to, to, to end his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And most of the time people who do get to that place, are thinking the world would be better, the people around me would be better if I wasn't here. I mean, back with my whole thing with him and Giles, like we hurt the people we love the most. And so it's like, well, if all I'm going to do is hurt them, then there's just no point. So yeah. Right. I love when we have these moments of Buffy just in on a mission 
just like storming her way and there was like epic music. <laughs> Every um, time they have a goes, scene like this, I'm always like, yeah, Buffy, go. It's just so Buffy. I'm just like, yes, girl, you strut like that. Um, we go to the tree lot. She finds a spot with the dead trees. Doesn't really quite make sense how the floor is literally just like an inch Cardboard. of wood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still better. I will die in this hill. Still better than surprise when the freaking TVs fell through cement and created a hole into the caves underneath. That <laughs> that to me was like, oh that, gosh, purely yeah. convenient. Yeah, it was like, okay, that's plot contrivance. But this episode's so good. I'll just. I'll let it. I'll let it slide. I'm like, you know what? There are bigger things going on. Yeah, this exactly. Like, I'm not gonna this was really TVs. just a means of like trying to show what was going. We on just need to Angel. get them back to Angel's house so they can bang. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> question for you guys: What do you guys think is the first plan in this episode? Like, what does it mean? Because at the very end of the episode or the scene with Jenny and an Angel, she says. You're not supposed to die. This isn't the plan, but it'll do. Obviously, there might be more stuff that's revealed later, but within the context of this episode, what do you guys think is the first overall plan? Buffy. Ooh. I think they they took Angelus out of hell because they were impressed with how much he brought Buffy down or seemingly. Mm. Um, and so I think the fact that like they brought him back was like, oh, he has a hold on Buffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if they can control Angel, they can basically control the Slayer. That's like her quote-unquote weakness in their eyes is like her love for her friends and her family and her loved ones and everyone like that. And so like if we can control Angel, then we can control Buffy. But if he dies, that still affects Buffy and they can always find someone else. It still affect him because it's like that's the love of her life that's like killing himself. Not necessarily in the way that they were hoping, but it's like if he kills himself, no harm, no foul, you know? I don't I don't believe the first when the first says that they brought Angel back. Um I don't. But um but I think that the first is, you know, taking credit for him coming back and that kind of is messing with his headspace. Um I do think that if we just, you know, are looking at this episode you know for what the the first um motivation is the motivation i would agree with tabs is that you know regardless of whether the first brought him back or not the first saying he brought him back and taking angel out of the equation um will have an impact on on buffy and her ability to fight i mean they she is stronger with him with his information with his help with his guidance and support and et cetera, and taking him out of the equation, you know, he himself is a, you know, somebody who fights evil, um, is obviously a step in the right direction for evil, but otherwise it's kind of hard, you know, based on this episode alone to, to really understand the first motivation. I also just think that he's an easy target right now. Mm -hmm. I think he's weak, he's vulnerable, and he's cut off from everyone. And so I just think that the first just kind of saw an opportunity. And I mean, they've already said other reasons, but I just think that it was like, if he's an easy target, he's an easy target. Yeah, I think it makes no sense for the first to bring Angel back and then be like, all right, well, now I'm going to kill you. Ha ha ha. You know, like that just doesn't make sense. And I think Giles even talks about in the episode at one point too, he's like, the first is powerful to bring him back. But then I think somewhere in there, either the first or Giles later says, oh, like, I don't know that they actually would be able to do that. I don't, I don't remember. But um, there's this quote from All Things Philosophical. 
says, it's possible that the first evil did bring Angel back if the first evil wants not only for Angel to revert, but to destroy slash torture slash punish Buffy. This is the perfect way to do it. Angel appeared right at the moment when Buffy was ready to forgive herself for killing him and was ready to move on. She was on the path to making peace with herself and saying goodbye to Angel once and for all, symbolized by her laying down her ring. Um, that she was moving on. If the first evil wants Buffy to suffer, then in its eyes, this moving on was a bad thing. Thus, the return of Angel to up her angst level, culminating in the final destruction of Buffy by the most horrible means possible. So I think you guys are right. I do think it is the first is overall plan is to cripple Buffy. I guess I also don't understand why the first would bring back somebody who's fighting evil right like like, what okay let's bring back like literally at this point the only other soul being who is superhuman who is fighting evil it just doesn't make any logical sense to me right he feels like such a wild card like he's not somebody that you can completely trust to always fight against evil or for evil like yeah it's better to just take him out i mean if you're banking on him going evil again he could also not and then he's you know waging war against you so yeah so Buffy finds the bringers doing their oogly booglies and then ruins their, their table of enchantments and gaming cards and Ouija boards and all that all that stuff. There's probably smoking down there too, because we know how, you know, <laughs> yeah. <Buffy's> anti-smoking. <laughs> it's just like billboards. They have Massive one sponsor. Like, don't do this. <laughs> That and Sprite. You just have Jenny standing in front of it being like, like pointing to it. We are evil. We smoke. (laughs) She's like, all right, 10 more minutes of chanting and you guys have to go to bed. Oh my gosh. The quips are so good. I think, you know, this is the last we see Jenny is the first. So I I don't want to pass up the opportunity to say that Rovia Lamorte. What was it? Lamorte. Lamorte. It actually means, it means the death. Isn't that cool? She does a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As the first in this episode. She just oh, it's 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 almost like seeing Willow as vampire Willow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then seeing them just so utterly evil, there's something about it that is just like jarring. Um, but there's just such a creepy aspect to it. And it's just so like every time she's on the screen, I'm like, can't they keep my eyes They open. really got their mileage out of Robbie Lamorte because she plays um possession. In the Dark Age, which I cannot get over how well mm. she embodies the actual That's my spirit. favorite, yeah. That because she's a dancer, she knows how to move her body. She's so in tune with it that she's able to even kind of completely change how you view her based upon her body movements. And it helps mm-hmm. sell the idea that this is a completely different person or being. So you have like the Dark Age. Then you have obviously Jenny in general. And then you have when Drew takes over and uh, pretends to be Jenny and becoming part two. And then you have the first now. I feel like they really kind of got their mileage out of her really. And then she has that whole like monologue where she's like, I'm a thing you can't even do can see the first evil Beyonce and she's like all right I get it you're evil do we have to chat about it all day I I definitely have felt like that when I'm watching like Marvel or something I'm like okay I love Marvel I'm a Marvel whore but like sometimes they have like their like monologues where I'm like this is going all a a little long (laughs) I get it but it speaks to Buffy's just fearsome nature the fact that she is literally looking at pure evil and it doesn't phase her at all you know um Buffy runs over to the mansion or whatever it's called. I always put down like Angel's house. I don't really know what to call mansion, it. Mansion, yeah. She runs over there. He is not there. She runs out and sees him on the hilltop. 
Angel, please, the sun is coming Just up. Just go. I won't. Once you think this is simple? You think there's an easy answer? You can never understand what I've done. Now go. You are not staying here. I won't leave you. Am I a thing worth saving, huh? Am I a righteous man? The world wants me gone. What about me? I love you so much. And I tried to make you go away. I killed you and it didn't help. And I hate it. I hate that it's so hard. And that you can hurt me so much. I know everything that you did because you did it to me. God, I wish that I wished you dead. I don't. And it's painful. And it's every day. It's what we have to do. And we can do it together. Huh. So good. It's just like the the strongest fighting and it's every day. Mm -hmm. Like that is just such a beautiful line because it's so all-encompassing. Like, Mm -hmm. of course it applies to the show, but it's also like it it applies to like mental health. It applies to like drug abuse and just like alcoholism like there's just there's so much Mm -hmm. there's so much that that applies to because it's like that's life you get up every day and you fight and you work Mm -hmm. and it's just hard sometimes Mm -hmm. and i just i it's so beautiful that's why i have such an issue when people call this episode corny Mm -hmm. i'm like no you just are not prepared for the heaviness of it Mm -hmm. and that's okay but it's not corny Mm -hmm. like it is beautiful well, the most beautiful part of the of this scene for me, the most beautiful part is just the fact that she says, I know everything you've done because you've done it to me. And yet she's extending grace. She's the one sitting there and being like, it's okay. You're not this person. I feel like those people need to hear from people that they think we're going to demonize them. We're going to shove them aside. We're never going to love them again because they felt like they'd hurt them so much. And sometimes like kind of like in, um, I only advise for you. It's like forgiveness is an act of compassion. You know, it's not because you need to, it's because, or it's not because what is it? Not because, um, Forgiveness is an act of compassion. We give it to someone not because they deserve it, but because they need it. Yep. I love how the parallels between what she says here and what Jenny was trying to say to Angel, how she's saying, no, you this is who you are. You are weak. You are all this stuff. And she's going, no, you're strong and you're, you can fight it. And, and Jenny's telling him, you don't have the strength to die. You don't have the strength to kill yourself. And Buffy's telling him, no, that's, that's twisted. That's a twisted perversion of what we think strength is. Strength is actually staying and fighting 
and getting up every day and doing the right thing. And I just absolutely love how Buffy has this perfect blend of of empowering him and building him up, but also giving him a little bit of tough love too, which I think is just totally appropriate in the situation. But oh, I just love them so much. And I think y'all talked earlier about why he's up on a hill. Um, and I think we talked about passion of the, mm-hmm. of the nerd a little bit, but yeah. actually passion of the nerd gets his material from Mark Fields. Um, Mark Fields wrote the book, um, Buffy and the Vampire, what's it called? Myth, um, myth, myth metaphor and morality. I right? love that book. And in that book, you know, he talks about how, you know, this is like the myth of Sisyphus, right? Mm-hmm. So Angel is you know, like Sisyphus who pushes the rock up. And when he gets to the very top of the mountain, the rock falls back down. And so mm-hmm. Angel is up on that hill deciding if he's going to come down off of that hill, mm-hmm. if he's going to come down and keep pushing the rock back up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Buffy is saying. You know, Buffy is saying, this is the personification of this philosophy is like, we keep going, we keep fighting. And um, this is from Mark Fields. The quote is, after the rock comes tumbling down, this is about Sisyphus. Confirming the ultimate futility of his project, Sisyphus trudges once a, one, after it once again. This is the hour of consciousness. At each of those moments when he leaves the heights, he is superior to his fate. He is stronger than his rock. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's that philosophy of, you know, do we keep, it is, life is hard and finding meaning in life mm-hmm. is hard and, and, confusing. And um, the snow is important because Angel hasn't quite figured it out yet. This is just, um, this is just step one, you know, he's trying to figure out what the meaning of life is. And so the snow coming in and saving him, um, I think is important because he's going to kind of continue to wrestle with these questions Mm -hmm. about his identity and about his, you know, destiny and and the reason that he was brought back and and how to find meaning in his life. Mm -hmm. But he comes off that hill Mm -hmm. with Buffy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I loved what Passion the Nerd had to say. He quotes Camus um, and he says, it happens that melancholy rises in man's heart. This is the rock's victory. This is the rock itself. The boundless grief is too heavy to bear, but crushing truths perish from being acknowledged. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill the human heart. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Um, I wanted to read. I got an email from someone who um, this episode is very dear to her. And she asked me to share. And I was like, absolutely. Um, Her name is Anna Keenan. And she says, Oh my, she says, I have to say how happy I am that you ladies are here for amends. I'm a legacy fan. I've had what some have described as an unhealthy relationship with Buffy for close to 25 years. And like Leah, I too was shocked when, or Leah, I too was shocked when I entered the fandom a couple of years ago that people don't like amends. She says, as I, as a recovering addict, I have to say that amends is one of the best depictions of addiction I've ever seen or what it's like to go through the early days of fighting that demon. But you get little doses of what recovery looks like throughout the arc of Angel. Amends is in my top 10, aside from it being a pivotal episode for Angel's character arc and a beautiful Angel-centric episode. It's the reason I'm sober today. The writing in that script and the story it told was so true to my experience with addiction and recovery, it communicated a message more powerful than any recovery program I've participated in over the last seven years ever has. And then at the very end, she says, but nobody can defend those bangs. (laughs) 
<laughs> I literally wow. almost cried. I'm literally crying. That's, that's yeah. so beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's why this episode mm. is so important. Like, not only is it just a well-done episode, but it is so just heavy in what it's talking mm. about. And it just – it shows it in such a beautiful way. It acknowledges it the despair, yes. the loneliness, the depression. But it also doesn't yeah. dehumanize mm. it what gives people hope. go through. Yep. And it doesn't villainize people for being at that low point and wanting it all to end. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. it's just, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Well, yep. whoever that was. Anna. Thanks, should, Anna. Anna. Thank you, Anna. That was mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And congratulations to her. Yes. For yeah. Congratulations. Addiction. Yeah. And we know it's a daily fight, and we just applaud you having the strength to wake up every morning and then do it all over again. And I think it just speaks to the power of Buffy and the writers that they're able to write something that has an impact all the way up to this day. I mean, I absolutely, absolutely love that. Oh gosh. And then it ends on this beautiful, beautiful montage. The music is just stunning. Right. Sunnydale's covered in snow and Buffy and Angel walk hand in hand. This scene always reminds me of an episode in Doctor Who. Where it's um, Tenth Doctor David, and Rose. David Tennant and Rose, and it's like snowing or whatever. And uh, I think I'm mixing up two episodes, but there's like there's this line where the Doctor like tells Rose he's like he's like just this once like nobody dies like just this once it's a happy mm-hmm. ending, and that's kind of how this episode feels. It's like nobody dies. It's a happy ending. I feel like there's not many Buffy episodes that end on such a hopeful note. I think sometimes we're used yeah. to e- either being a cliffhanger or everyone's kind of down and stuff. And I just love that this episode ends in such a happy way. But yeah. And if you guys stick around long enough at the end of the episode, you can see the little mutant enemy monster in the end credits wearing his Santa hat. Well, that was a men's guys. Thank you so much, Dee, for joining us. This has been so much fun. And I mean... It's a men's like w- it wouldn't be a men's if we weren't all like tearing up at some point during the episode. I know. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for being here. We look forward to next week for the spoiler section. Dee will be coming back and joining us as well. And ooh, that's going to be a good one to talk about. I always look forward to the spoilers. Yeah. So you guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. As always, guys, we will talk to you next week.